4. I'll read, start reading at verse 1, but we're really picking up uh, tonight at verse 4. So let's uh, pray together again. Our gracious God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for the Bible and we think how much better we could have used the Bible in our lives in times past, but thank you, Lord, that you are God who is slow to anger, and thank you that we have now this privilege to open the scriptures and pray that we, Lord, would eat and that we would devour. We meditate on this word day and night. We pray that it would change lives. Lord, if it would please you, we pray that it would even bring people to faith in Jesus Christ that they would lay hold of the living Savior. We thank you that you sent your Son into the world, and now you have sent the Holy Spirit into the world. We pray for the Holy Spirit's help to preach Christ and Him crucified. We pray that the Holy Spirit would regenerate those who are dead in their sin. We pray that the Holy Spirit might sanctify those who are in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you might build us up in faith and in love for you. And, Lord, also fellowship with one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll start reading at verse 1, though much of the exposition comes from verse 4 and following. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has gone, excuse me, for the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Amen. Now, one of the main themes that you find in 1 Peter is the theme of the Christian and the church suffering in this world. And you get that uh, in this chapter. You see it, um, first of all, in verse 1. But you also notice there, you'll see it down um, at, at the end as well in verse 12 and 13. Where, for example, Peter says, taking verse 1, for, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. So he wants us to be prepared to know how to suffer, to be prepared to suffer, because this is uh, part and parcel of the Christian faith. This is not something extraordinary, but it is ordinary in uh, the lives of God's people. If you notice uh, verse uh 12, he says to them, we haven't gotten to this verse yet, so, but I'm just giving you a little bit of what's coming. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though something strange 
was happening or were happening to you, but to the degree that you, what? Share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So notice that he makes that connection between the sufferings of Christ, our Savior, and the body of Christ. We are not above the master. If Jesus, the head, suffered, we shall enter into the sufferings of Christ as well. And so last week we talked about that strange verse that says that the body of Christ you know, fills up the measure of Christ's sufferings. Now again, to reemphasize, this does not mean that there's anything lacking in the atonement of Christ. That's not what that verse is saying there. But it is simply, I think, demonstrating the mystery of our union with Christ as believers in Christ, who is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, that we participate in those sufferings, just as he did in this world and now has been exalted above this world and beyond it. We, too, follow in the same train of Jesus Christ. We enter into the humiliation of Christ that we might be exalted with Christ at the end. So Peter here, who himself suffered to the end of his life, is reminding us of this. Remember, it was prophesied of our author that he one, one day would be bound. When he was old, he would be bound and he would be forced to go where he did not want to go. And that Jesus was speaking of, you'll remember, of Peter's uh, death that he was to suffer for the sake of Christ. And remember, Peter says, oh, what about John here? And he said, you know, never mind. That's in the Southern translation. You know, never mind this, this, what is coming for John, but you, what, follow me. Okay, you, Peter, follow me. So Peter evidently did learn that lesson that Jesus gave him on the beach there after the resurrection, and he is now telling the church, you too be prepared for a suffering here. So Christ suffered in his human nature, not in his deity, but in his human nature. He suffered truly as a man, and that the church is to prepare for conflict as faithful Christians. So as the gospel is spreading and leavening through first century um, Mediterranean regions, we, we know that it is coming in contact up and against rebellious people in an idolatrous world, and that the world does not say, oh, thank you, that the world often reacts negatively. Now, we see this today as we did in the first century. For example, in authoritarian countries, that is, boys and girls, those are countries that do not have civil liberties like we have. In these countries, the reaction might be arrest for Christians. It could be imprisonment. could be beatings. It could have your, your church building uh, torn down. We've seen this in uh, various places in the world. Uh, we see it in China. We get reports about it in North Korea, in the Middle East. Now, in the West, where we live, uh, there is a history over the centuries of Christendom. But that influence, as we saw this morning, has been waning. Now, the opposition to the church is more mild where we live, and we're thankful for that. Um, but we need to take Peter to heart, though, and don't be surprised if more suffering comes. Because as Christendom uh, continues in its rebellion and apostasy against God and becomes more open to things like homosexuality being promoted, and pornography, and adultery, and all kinds of immorality, 
<coughs> excuse me, disobedience to parents and authority figures, don't be surprised that it becomes increasingly intolerant to Christianity as well. Because we are right now experiencing um, a, a real, if you will, civil war, a cold civil war maybe at this point, but a, a civil war between two religions. A religion that wants to follow Jesus Christ and a religion that does not, that is uh, with the kings of the earth conspiring against Christ that we read about in the beginning of Psalm chapter 2. You can often see this being played out in college campuses. One of the reasons that our ministry to uh, college campuses is so important is that's the intellectual future of your country. And, and that's one of the reasons we need to continue our ministry, and we, we do covet your prayers to reach more students in our own context here. But this um, conflict and this clash is being played out, I think, on college campuses ahead of the rest of the culture oftentimes. And that's why some even reformed campus ministries have struggled even to, to stay on campus because they hold um, to the biblical sexual ethic, which goes against the grain of a lot of universities. And they say, well, no, you know, you, if you're not, uh, if your group won't have open homosexuals as officers of your group, well, then you can't be on our campus because you're intolerant. And, and so things are getting played out like that. Um, and it, it's not just the Reformed campus ministries, but even others are having to wrestle with how do we handle uh, you know, this situation. So there is this growing intolerance for Christ and, and Christ's people. Well, they can't get it, as we saw last week, at Jesus. They can't get it to you. And so that realize that, that they are coming after you because they're in rebellion against him. Now, Last week we saw from verses 2 and 3 that we therefore are no longer to live the rest of our lives for sin, Peter told us, but we are to do it for God. As much time as God allots us, and we don't know how much that is, if the Lord should tarry and the Lord should preserve our life, then for how many days we have, how many years or decades we have left, none of us knows the, the day or the hour, but therefore, we should be busy about the business of God. We no longer are to live for sin, Peter says. And we do want to be good stewards of all that God gives us, including our time. In fact, time is one of your most valuable resources. It's the, it's the one resource that you're getting less of every uh, year. You know, um, your, your hourglass doesn't stop. or um, You know, the sand keeps going down in the, in the sieve down to the bottom, and many of us have more sand now in the bottom of our hourglass than we do at the top. And it's all the more important, therefore, that we redeem the time for the sake of, of Christ. Um, you know, if you lose uh, money, you can, through a better investment, you know, recoup in the future. But with time, it's, it's difficult uh, once it's gone. So it's a precious resource that we do need to really a steward, and, and treat as valuable. Now, we want to give a good account to Jesus Christ. All of us do. We want to give a good account to the Lord Jesus Christ, especially from this point forward. I said last week, there's nothing you can do really about the past. Either thank God for the good things in the past and repent of the things you did wrong in the past and seek forgiveness, and if you need to, seek restitution and reconciliation because of your past. 
But really, other than that, there's nothing you can do. And, but you can, from this point forward, you can do a lot. And that is that you can be busy doing the will of God. We are to be devoted to God's purposes, to God's kingdom in the world. Everything is under the lordship of Christ. All of Christ for all of the world. We need to be a people who are on a mission. Now, you don't have to go overseas to be a person on a mission. You don't have to be a foreign missionary, but you do have to be a missionary of sorts. You have to be missionaries here as builders of the kingdom of Christ, locally, regionally, wherever God has you in your sphere. Now, I want to give you uh, three thoughts for tonight. Um, number one, first of all, you're going to, Paul, uh, Peter excuse me, uh, says that we, picking up on the theme of suffering again, he says, you are going to be maligned by the world, having been converted to Christ, verse 4. Yet, he says in verse 5, a judgment day is coming. Live in light of that judgment day. And number six, Peter reminds us that this, it is for this reason that we preach the gospel to all men in order that they might be ready for the judgment to come. So let's think on these three points over these next few verses here. Now let's look at verse 4 again in our text. Peter says, in all this, that is everything I just mentioned in the introduction here, <laughs> in all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and they malign you. Now what is Peter talking about here that they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation? He is saying here, this is a first generation church. So most of these people came to faith in Jesus Christ as people who were either you know, teenagers, young adults, or adults. Most of the people to whom Peter is writing, he's talking here to people. Remember, he's writing to the church that is scattered. We saw that when we started this series. And to the people scattered in Babylon. And he says, they are surprised that you what? You don't run with them anymore. That is, the, the, the world notices when a person's life is regenerated. When a person is brought to faith, true faith in Jesus Christ and brought out of the world in which they operated normally according to the world's values and the world's priorities, people do take notice. People ask questions. People do take note. You know, I came to faith in Jesus Christ through many instruments, but one of them was a friend of mine who came to faith in Christ before I did. And I asked him, on campus. I said, I heard you became a Christian. Why did you do that? And he said, well, let me tell you about it at lunch sometime. So we had lunch, and then he gave me a bunch of R.C. Sproul material and said, here, I'm, he was going to, for his junior year abroad, he didn't need it anymore, and he said, here, you take this until I come back. And so I listened to Sproul uh, from that point. But people are surprised when someone who once was among the social crowd and they participated in all the excesses of drinking, they partied, they were involved in immorality, and suddenly they quit. And they sober up. And they begin to become, as the world likes to call it, religious. 
and they attend church. And people say, what has happened to so-and-so? Or they use that phrase, did, did he get religion? Did she get religion? What happened? Or maybe you've heard it. I know I heard it. What's wrong with them psychologically? Have they had some kind of breakdown? What's, what is psychologically wrong with them that they would give themselves to Jesus Christ? Or, depending on the sin, sometimes people may feel betrayed by your conversion to Christ. They're, they feel betrayed because they didn't raise you in the Christian faith, and it's convicting to them. Your parents, for example, uh, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, what's wrong with the way we raised you? Or if somebody is brought out of a, a lifestyle of homosexuality, many times that homosexual community feels betrayed. How could you become a Christian on us? And, and you know, if you've read Rosaria Butterfield's book, she, in, you know, the um, unlikely convert, um, she, she talks about that many of her, her friends, some of her students who were o open and avowed homosexuals felt betrayed that she would give herself to Jesus Christ. Peter's saying here, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excesses any longer, of sin, of dissipation. And he says, and they malign you. So notice here uh, that they get upset. They become agitated. Now why? Why do people get upset? I thought we were a, a tolerant Western society uh, that embraced all kinds of lifestyles and ideas. Why do they get upset at this one thing. Well, it's because they are not in a right relationship with God, and this is convicting to them. This is why the Pharisees were so upset with Jesus, is he was the genuine article, and they were the hypocrites, and hypocrites hate the genuine. Hypocrites hate those who are genuine converts to Christ. It makes them uneasy. It makes them unsettled. They know that something is missing. Paul, as he's holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen, knew something was missing. He could tell, and it enraged him. It didn't cause him to examine himself so much as it did to persecute the church. Isn't it interesting how upset, how agitated, quote-unquote tolerant, and quote-unquote open-minded people get when it comes to Jesus Christ? I remember many years ago I was watching CNN, and one of the things I liked about Larry King was Larry King was, in, in some sense, a very good journalist in that he would be open to various viewpoints and religions. And he would have Billy Graham on, and he would have John MacArthur on. I remember one night I'm watching, and it's a round table of various religious leaders. And you had uh, MacArthur on the panel, and you had, I think, a Hindu uh, on the panel. You had a rabbi on the panel, and somebody else, I don't remember who. But one of the things that was interesting to me is how agitated the group all got at MacArthur. Nobody got agitated at anybody else at the, at the table. They were all fine with each other, but it was the Christian, the true believing Christian, that they all were unified against in their agitation. 
you could see the debate. All of the panel was ganging up on MacArthur, and MacArthur was standing alone. It's because all of the other religions were false. And, and, and they were all idolatrous. And it doesn't bother idolaters if you just choose a different idol. But when you choose the genuine Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the true God in flesh, that bothers them. And they do malign, just as they maligned John MacArthur on that show. They will malign, Peter says, they malign you as well. And it's not just you, it's not the problem is you, but it's because of Christ who is now within you that they so object to and they resist. So verse 4, Peter here warns us that we will be maligned. Part of our sufferings for Christ is that we'll be maligned. But notice verse 5, he says a judgment is coming though. A judgment is coming. Hold fast because there is an, an age that has already begun but is not yet consummated but will be consummated. And so notice verse 5, Peter says, but they, that is those who malign you, they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now the him there refers to the son. They will give an account to Christ. So those who malign, those who mock, those who uh, attack the church, those who seek not the church's welfare but the hurt of the church, they will have to give an account on the day of judgment. They will have to come and face the truth in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. They saw evidences of God's grace in your life, but they refused to come to the knowledge of the truth within themselves. They will have to render an account to Jesus Christ, Peter is saying. They will have to explain why they didn't examine their own life in the light in the light, excuse me, of your transformation. As God was at work within you, as he witnessed through you, through your life, through your words, they who resisted that witness to their own good and their own soul will have to explain it. Now Peter here is saying here that <clears throat> there are those that, that, that they once caroused with in the world and when they see this transformation by the power of the gospel. And if you ever want to read about lives being transformed by the gospel, I'd encourage you, read volume one of Martin Lloyd-Jones' biography by Ian Murray. Uh, one of the neat things about that biography of Martin Lloyd-Jones is he starts off as a minister in a little Welsh coal mining town. And... Uh, through his preaching, and, and Martin Lloyd-Jones was probably one of the best evangelists of the 20th century, maybe along with Billy Graham, but they had different, Martin Lloyd-Jones did it from the context of being a pastor rather than an evangelist, but nevertheless, um, the lives that were changed in that coal mining town um, through his, his preaching um, are, are remarkable to, to read encourage you to do that. Or you can read Whitfield. Another good one is George, read George Whitfield's um, autobiography. It really is his journal. It's his journal. And, and um, he, he would preach to these communities and people would be 
brought under the, the power of conviction and, and savingly wrought upon by the Spirit of God. I'll never forget the account where um, somebody said Whitfield was preaching, speaking of coal mining towns in Wales, Whitfield was preaching in a, in a coal mining community and the, the men had just gotten off their shift. So they've just come up above ground. Their faces are entirely black, it said, except for the white trail marks left by their tears because of the preaching of, of Whitfield and the lives that were transformed. Those who remain hardened under these times of awakening will have to give an account to why they were witnesses to the Spirit of God moving on churches and communities, but they themselves did not give themselves to Jesus Christ. Jonathan Edwards, in times of awakening, even warned his own congregation, those who were unconverted in his own church, he warned them that they would have to give an account, and he warned them, don't become gospel-proof. That is, don't allow yourself to watch others come to faith in Jesus Christ, and that doesn't soften you, but hardens you, makes it harder for you to become a true convert yourself. So Peter, going back to our text here, he says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So we suffer in this life as believers who are maligned for our faith in Jesus Christ, but we suffer as those who are looking ahead to a day of judgment. The reason we don't, um, the, the, the reason we don't avenge ourselves because we know God will avenge us. That is, Paul says that when we are maligned, we bless. When we are persecuted, we pray for the, we, we give, uh, when our enemy is thirsty, we give him a, a cup of water in order that we might show ourselves to be like our father. And we do so knowing that it, it will be taken care of eventually. But for the time being, we do not seek our own vengeance. We leave it in the hands of God for the day of judgment. We give blessing because that's what our father does for them right now and we saw this several weeks ago when we talked about God causing it to rain and and the sun to shine on unbelieving gardens as well as believers gardens so the judgment day is coming so even though they malign you uh, live in the light of the judgment now verse 6 we come here to Peter saying, for the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. Now, this might confuse you, but I think what he's saying here, he's speaking about, for this purpose, the gospel has been preached to those who, I would say, spiritually dead. That is, those who are unregenerate. That though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Peter says that the gospel has come for this purpose. The gospel has for this purpose been preached. Now what is this purpose? That men who are naturally dead in sin, who are spiritual corpses, that they might yet still live to God. That is that Peter is saying that we endure the sufferings of Christ, we persevere, we wait for the day of judgment, because why? Because this is still a day of grace. And God yet still may, through your life and your preaching and the preaching of the gospel, may yet save them who are presently in opposition to you. That the gospel is for this purpose, 
preach to those right now who are dead in order that they might be raised from the dead, that they might have new life. This is why Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, that you must be born again. You must have new life within you. The kingdom of God is not of the will of men or of blood or of flesh, but it is of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God who regenerates you, the Spirit of God who raises you up to new life with Christ, while yet still in this, what, mortal body. While still yet in, I think he says the word flesh here, yes. While they are still judged in the flesh as men. Now the flesh here, I think, is not speaking of the sin nature, but simply the body here. Sometimes Paul uses, and Peter uses, the word flesh uh, in different ways here. And I think he's simply saying here that as they live as men yet in this life, the gospel is preached to them, though they are alive in the body and yet spiritually dead. But the Bible says you must be born again. If you do not know the Lord, the Bible says you must be born of the Spirit of God. You must be regenerated. The Holy Spirit must change your nature. He must make you alive. You are spiritually dead. Even as you could go to the cemetery on Franklin Road and you, you see all the headstones there and you know that under those headstones are multiple bodies that are dead. Well, that's also, in a sense, an illustration of our spiritual condition by nature. We are all buried spiritually by nature, but God miraculously brings new life and eternal life through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit working through the preaching of Christ telling people that you may be saved from this judgment that is coming, the day of judgment, you may be saved today. You can be saved by believing and repenting of your sins, believing in Jesus, believing he's the Son of God, believing he became a man, believing he lived a holy life, a perfect life, a righteous life, believing he died as a substitute for you on the cross, that he bore your sins, he bore the penalty of your sins, he bore the wrath and the judgment of his father for those sins and that God was pleased to raise him on the third day from the dead. And the Bible says that those who believe in Jesus Christ, confess with the mouth and believe from the heart, they shall be saved. They, God regenerates those whom he will as they listen to the good news. For this Peter says, for the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. That though they are judged in the flesh as men, dead in sins, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. They may yet live by the spirit. The power that raised Christ from the dead will come into your life as you believe on Christ who is preached to you tonight. Jesus Christ was crucified and raised to bring life. Jesus said it himself, I did not come into this world to destroy men or to condemn men, but to save men and to give men life. Men are already under condemnation by nature. They are already objects of God's wrath and destruction by nature. Christ was sent by the Father to save anyone who would believe in him. 
Now, next week, God willing, we'll speak more of this in verse 7. And I want to talk about, but not tonight, the end of all things is near. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. But simply leave you with this. Where are you tonight with the Lord Jesus Christ? Where are you? Are you born again? Can you say that you have been wrought upon savingly by the Spirit? Has your life been changed? Are you a new person in Christ Jesus? Have you turned away from the world? Have you turned away from the crowd that sins against God? Have you lived a, a new life of the fruit of the Spirit? Have you been wrought upon by the Spirit of God and all things have become new to you? Do you have new eyes, new ears, a new heart, a new soul? Do you have uh, this eternal life, this power from above working within your soul? Do you have communion with God? Do you walk with God? Or do you merely assent to the truths of the gospel? Do you simply know the right answers? Friends, there's a big difference between simply knowing the right answers and knowing Christ and being known by Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ intimately, personally? Is he, a, is he a friend? Do you walk with him? Do you believe and trust the whole of your soul upon him? Do you look to him alone for help? Have you been born again? Have you been born from above by the power of God? For this purpose Christ came into the world. Amen.